Hello, Greg. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Going well. And I want to welcome everybody to our recording of Iconocast. Today, we're talking about options for nuclear power as a way to reduce our um, dependence on carbon-based fuels and help towards green energy. And it's driven in part by debate that's going on in the state of Minnesota House of Representatives. And Greg has a little bit more knowledge about it than I do. But um, Greg, before we get into that, I do have some ideas of how we should ask questions as far as whether or not it's feasible to use nuclear power to replace, um, well, coal and um, gas, but also whether or not it would be more effective at replacing those things than renewable energies. Sure. And the way that I see it, like if we do a T account for energy questions, we have um, on one side, we have costs, and then the other side, then we have energy outputs. And under costs, we're talking about environmental costs, financial costs, and then um, <clears throat> those are broken down into three phases each, okay? So the cost for uh, CO2 in the process of um, mining, refining, transporting, and so forth until it gets to the plant that it's gonna be used. And then in the process of um, generating energy using a particular fuel or a particular method. And finally, um, in post energy world, okay, so what do we do with the waste that comes out of it? You know, coal has ash that's got mercury and all those en uh, environmental costs in it. Um, and uh, gas is emissions and so forth. Uh, and then um, we compare that to how much energy that um, based on energy density and what it supplies, and then how does that all balance out? So it's not a set of easy questions as far as whether or not um, any particular method of generating electricity or power is going to be a complete solution. Mm -hmm. So in your research that you've done, um, on nuclear power using uh, small modular reactors. Um, have, what, what have you been finding so far? Is it, is it a process that really could realistically uh, help us cope until you know, the sometime future nuclear fusion is available and solves all our problems? What, what are you in your experience finding on nuclear power? First of all, I think that is important to distinguish between comparing nuclear with coal versus nuclear as a source independently of anything else. Right. And I think, I think that right now we have a technology that's pretty safe and effective. We have a lot of nuclear power plants in the, in the world that are built in, in, there's really two designs, but they're really the same idea of how the reactors work and that they make stuff hot. And then that hot stuff is used to generate electricity and turbines, just like a coal plant. And, uh, and they, 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 despite Three Mile Island, despite a few other problems, given the number of plants, there haven't been that many disasters. No. Chernobyl is a different story. It's a different kind of plant. So it's really, you know, it isn't as bad as people might think as far as just like, will the plant blow up and destroy my city? Um, Fukushima, was demonstrated not how unsafe plants are, but it demonstrated how how just untrustworthy nuclear nuclear industry is because they built a four reactor plant 
in an area that any geologist would know was going to be hit by a tsunami someday. Okay, so that that was just a, a how does that happen? I don't know, but the fact that that kind of thing can happen and in fact has happened means that no matter how many safety devices you put in and no matter how careful the design is, bureaucratically, someone's going to mess it up. Yeah, if they would so have that, found a place on the western side of Japan, then or, or just, just like that would have happened. Just a few hundred feet higher in elevation, it would be sure. more expensive and more because you have to have cooling. So it'd be more difficult, but it, it would have been at least this would not have happened. Okay, so uh, so I, I'm I'm a person who is going to advocate against nuclear, but I'm not the person who's saying that we're all going to be to turn into skeletons if someone builds a nuclear power plant near you. Okay, but that's just the plant itself, as you point out, the the process of getting the fuel to the plant and then dealing with the waste those are the, the, we know how we know that getting getting the mainly uranium to a plant is is a very messy process it's interesting to me to hear people say i, I guess i should say a lot of what i want to talk about is the argument rather than the technology sure and the argument is oh no we can't use electric cars run by wind turbines because of the poor children in the congo because they are, you know, which is a falsehood. There is, there are issues with mining cobalt and lithium, but they're not as are usually stated by anti-electric car people, which we talked about in our last podcast. Right. But um, what about the poor people in Nigeria or the Urals who are mining the uranium? They also are getting screwed over by the colonialistic state. Okay, so we we only worry about people when they're when they're uh, at risk of by something that we don't want. So nuclear, anti-nuclear people point about uranium mining, anti-electric car people point out cobalt mining. It's all a problem. You can't escape these problems. We have to solve these problems. They're real and they're difficult and they may not be that solvable. But I think that uh, to think of nuclear power as a, as a renewable resource is a mistake. It's not. These, radio think- is- these radioisotopes are limited is how much, you know. And you mind them. Remember. Yes. You know, the old, the old statement is everybody that's read Robert Heinlein is familiar with. He always puts it in every novel. It seems like there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. And right. nobody's really expecting a free lunch. We just have to decide how much we're willing to pay and how good of a lunch we need to have. Yeah. Right. Now, um, so that, that's the current nuclear power plants. And, and the, the, if you wanted to build a nuclear power plant right now, based upon the current technology, you couldn't just drop it in because the people who build them don't exist. Okay, it's like when they had a higher when the, the Y2K um, threat occurred, they had to hire all of these retired cobalt pl- pro- programmers to right. fix the bank code um, because they had all retired because they stopped using that language a long time ago. Even our computers are running on it, so we have that problem. The way nuclear fuel and I can't and I cannot speak directly to this question but I've had it explained to me by a nuclear engineer that the way nuclear fuel is tracked and managed because nuclear fuel is also nuclear bomb materials, it's extremely restricted and narrow. So you can't just say, I'm going to build a nuclear power plant. Oh, I'll, I'll go buy some fissile material somewhere. And the kind of fissile material you can get and have, have, have and manage doesn't allow you to build certain kinds of plants. We'd have to change the law and change the whole security system a great deal. Okay, so it's difficult to do. Um, all else being equal, we need to get our grid decarbonized within the next couple of decades. How many nuclear power plants can we build in twenty years? I don't think we 
get more than a few. The answer is probably if you start now, if you start now, the answer is zero. Yeah. You might get a bunch in 30 years or mm -hmm. 50 years. But if you're if you're relying on that to decarbonize the grid in 20 years, it won't work because we, they won't exist. OK, uh, so that's a problem. But there's another bigger problem I see. <coughs> imagine. Imagine. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Mike, that I've invented a vehicle. You have a car. Right. right. But when you want to go visit your friends back in Phoenix, you have to fly. And if you want to go to Europe and like take a cruise up and down the, the Danube, you have to get in a boat. And uh, and cars are really inconvenient in Minneapolis, parts of Minneapolis, where it's a lot easier to get around on a bike. So I have a vehicle that is a bike and it flies and you can put five people in it and it can tow your boat. And I know this exists because I know that those technologies are all real. Sure. So I've, Im I've imagined in my mind a chimera of a bicycle, a car, a truck, an airplane, and a boat. And, I'm, and because you know what a boat is, and you know what a car is, and you know what a truck and an airplane are, you won't believe me. But if you're a person sitting in a, in, as a legislator in the Congress or in a state legislator, you don't know anything about nuclear power. So someone stands up and says, there's a, a technology that does X, Y, Z. It sounds good, but no one is realizing they're talking about five different technologies that cannot be built in one plant. They're often contradictory to each other. Okay. Okay. So that brings us to two technologies I want to mention. The saving grace technologies. One is a molten salt and the other is thorium. Okay. Molten salt means... And there's other versions of this where you, the cool big part of nuclear technology, oh, I guess I should mention first, mm -hmm. nuclear power plants, nuclear energy does not make electricity. Right. You don't have a radioisotope pumping out rays of energy and then you plug something into it and you have electricity. What it does is it makes heat and the heat is used to, to heat up steam or water that then runs a turbine, just like a coal plant or something like that. In fact, some of the first nuclear power, one of the earliest nuclear power plants you, they tried to use in commercial setting was right here in Minnesota in Elk River. There was a coal plant there. They took out the coal burner and put in a nuclear plant right there on Route 10. And the nuclear plant leaked so much, they had to eventually just take it all away and they put in a garbage burning plant, which operated relatively cleanly until recently. Mm. Is it, a nuclear plant is a coal plant where you're taking the coal part away and you or instead are using nuclear energy to make the heat, okay? Which means it's inherently inefficient. Unless you can find a way to use that heat, which you can do sometimes, if 50% of the energy is going off in heat and you've got to somehow cool that and it's a mess. Anyway, the molten, the molten salt reactors or molten metal reactors use a liquid that's not water and it gets much, much hotter. And it's a way it, it engineers like it for a number of reasons, but among other things, you don't have to worry so much about the plant overheating because it's already so hot. And then if it worst case scenario, if, if a water cool plant like breaks in the right way, the water just, well, the water goes away right away. Mm -hmm. And a good amount of it turns into hydrogen right away. That explodes. And there's no more water to cool the plant. Whereas with a liquid, liquid metals or liquid sodium plants, it's already melted down in a sense. And what happens is that that stuff, if it breaks apart, the stuff is supposed to all fall down 
into a safe area and the nuclear stuff falls down into the same safe area, whatever. You end up separating everything out and it all turns into a rock. The one time that happened in a reactor of that type, it didn't work and it turned into a, a partial meltdown. And um, it was a it was a, one of the nuclear, it was the, the Detroit nuclear disaster, the Fermi nuclear disaster in Detroit. The one time that that happened, the one time someone built a plant like that, that happened to it. Now, I don't think that means every plant like that will melt down because they'll obviously be building better in the future. I think the molten salt is a good technology, but the other technology is using thorium. And it's said that the following things are said about thorium. One, it isn't radioactive. I'm, I'm giving you things that people say about it. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> it's not radioactive, they say. Number two, it's abundant. So it's therefore basically free. Okay. And number three, you throw it into a nuclear power plant and it converts into other nuclear isotopes that you can then use to keep running the plant forever. Okay, so it's just like free and easy forever. Mm-hmm. Now, th- the truth is, first of all, thorium is not only radioactive, it's not extremely radioactive, but it is the source of almost all of the heat that is caused by radiation on this planet. Okay, there's uranium here and there and stuff, and it causes heat and that heats. So all, we have heat from three places, the sun, the molten core and inner parts of the earth, the magma, and radiation. And among the radiation heat, it comes from thorium. Thorium, when it breaks down, turns into radon. So it's a source of our radon, our cancer-causing radon. So if you want to give thorium, make it sound nice, you'd say it's not radioactive and it's, and it's easily found, it's abundant. If you want to make it sound bad, you say, well, it's the one that causes all that cancer. Okay. Um, also, thorium is kind of, it's like everywhere. There isn't like a thorium, it's hard to mine it. It's spread out. There isn't that much of it and it's spread out. So there's no, mining experts don't have a way of mining thorium. So we can't have thorium. And if so we it did- doesn't sound like it's very dense. Um, so yeah. it would take an immense amount of um, concentration of materials in order to be able to get a lot of use, enough right. usable thorium. It would be a huge mining disaster. Yeah. Right. And, and, no one, and it's, it's the kind of thing that no one's even thought of a way to do it. Okay. So we can't have it. And then when you put it in your plant and you're, you, what you do is you enrich it with other nuclear isotopes, radioisotopes, and you get it cooking and then it degrades, or, sorry, it, it, it breaks down it, you know, uh, in, in, in a fission reaction to other kinds of radioisotopes. Now, the other feature of some of these plants is said to be, you, you, it doesn't produce a product that terrorists can use. This plant does. Um, it, it has. It would have to have what is called. There's no such plant now. But it would have to. It would have to have a, a place where you take out the stuff that's in the reactor, and process it, and separate out all of the different radioisotopes that's created and other things, some of which are highly toxic, and and then you take the radioisotopes that you want and you put them back in the plant, and that keeps it cooking. It doesn't happen inside the plant automatically. Uh, which is often said, you got to remove it and fix it up. And that place where you remove it and fix it up will be the most dangerous place on the planet. <clears throat> Multiple radioisotopes of unknown quality and type coming out of the machine and you sort it out, make it all neat and put it all back again. It's like sorting the Legos, okay? And only it's highly radioactive and very hot. And you have to have it done by robots. They don't have the robots. The same kind of robots you would use to clean up nuclear disasters they haven't been invented or they have barely been invented. They haven't, they keep trying to do this at Fukushima and the robots just keep, you know, breaking and melting down and stuff. So it's probably possible, 
but it's extremely difficult and expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I look forward to someday there being a molten salt based thorium reactor or something like that somewhere. Why not build one? You know, I'm not against it, but it's going to take you 50 years to get it right. There's going to be one of them. It's not going to be that big because you don't want to build the biggest one you can build the first time because the last time they did that, it melted down. Um, and it'll be an experimental reactor and they can use it in Ohio where they seem to love nuclear energy to like make cars or something. Um, so they could probably put it in East Paradise because nobody could be able to live there now or Palestine, East Palestine. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just find a nice train disaster and build your yeah. near a coal mine, <clears throat> a nice train disaster near a coal, an old not a coal mine, near a coal plant, coal fire power plant, yeah. and that'll work. Um, then, okay, so so there we have you know the idea that there's many things that plants, oh, then there's the idea you mentioned before, modular, the idea that you build a small plant. Now, for the most part, the small nuclear power plants are giants. They're actually quite large. The re, a, re, a nuclear reactor, <clears throat> have you ever been, if, if, uh, many of our listeners won't know this, but you've been out to Monticello, right? You've seen the Monticello nuclear I've power plant. I've driven by the plant. I've never yeah. been. And, and you've Monticello. been by, right, but you've, never, you've been by Sherco. Yeah. There are places you can see both from the same spot. Which is bigger, Sherco or Monticello? You've seen them both. Uh, I, I would, in my memory, I would, I would say um, Monticello. Does it look a lot bigger than Sherco or just a little bigger than Sherco? A little bigger. Yeah, it's like way bigger. And it's because it, you can drive pretty close to Sherco. And Sherco is the biggest power plant in the United States. The biggest coal plant, I should say. Um, I think very close to the biggest. Um, Montes nuclear power plants are really giants but they're separated away from you. So you, so the average person has never been up close to one. So you right. don't know how big they are. The reactor itself is a big giant thing that has next to it, typically another big giant thing on a gantry that lifts up the cores and puts them in and takes out the old cores and brings them down. And that's like the size of the back of a semi, okay? And then that semi size thing has to put those cores into cooling pools right there in the plant and take them out, they're stored. It's like you keep your battery you know, in a nice drawer. I got a drawer right next to me here with my batteries in it. It's like that only for nuclear rods. Those are enormous because it's got to have enough space to hold like five times the number of rods that are in there or whatever, some large number separated from each other. They can't be near each other. So there's this giant area where the, where the cores are kept. And then there's the, 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 the thing that generates the electricity, the turbines. Those are huge. And then the whole cooling system is adds a lot to it. And then there's all the mechanics. It's a really big thing, okay? So the way to make a small nuclear power plant is you say, okay, first we're gonna scale it down to about half size, everything. They're gonna take off all the maintenance stuff. Just take it all away. And we're gonna do that some other way. We're not gonna have re reloading. We're not gonna be reloading cores and keeping cores on site. We're gonna figure out some other way to do all that stuff. So you're taking a big giant plant you scaled it down and stripped off all the safety features and the maintenance features and hardened the plant so it won't be unsafe. If you do it a lot, you get a little tiny thing you can put into a nuclear cell, okay? But most of these things, they become small for a nuclear power plant. They're still big. So people imagine these modular things like going in your neighborhood. You're gonna have to tear down a city block and that's gonna, not gonna meet the safety requirements. They're gonna be still radioactive near it. Okay. They're not that small. Okay. Um, so, and making it small 
uh, believe me, the GE boiling water reactor plant is probably as efficient as you can get that kind of plant to be. If you're going to make a small reactor, it's not going to be that efficient. You, it's, so, people, people in, think it's small. Yeah. Yeah. Think small is efficient, but small means small. And because it's small, it's going to be in some ways less efficient. So really then too, we have to think about, you know, um, like inverse square laws and so forth as, you know, it's not, so if you build um, a nuclear reactor that's half the size of like say um, Elk River, it's because of inverse square, it's really gonna be able to have one quarter of the power generation. Right. It's not gonna have half the size. So we have to think about cubic size as right. far as reducing it rather than just like, you know, in, in a two-dimensional reduction. Yes, that's right. And there's probably similar kinds of problems with the how much you could turn a turbine with the heat from it. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying that these are bad inherently. I'm just saying that they're not what people think they are. Okay. So now you have, I've seen, literally seen text and speeches and things where people are taking the smallness of modular reactors, the unmeltdown ability of molten molten salt, which is not going to be a modular reactor, and the they don't really need nuclear fuel of the thorium, and the it takes care of itself of the chemical plant that goes with a breeder reactor, and and just put it all into one thing and say there's nothing the future technology the next gen technology is and the word is is wrong because there's many technologies is has all these characteristics, and it's like the airplane boat bicycle, car, truck, chimera, it's impossible, okay? Now, we have a, we're gonna, we've, we're showing people a um, a video that exemplifies what's going on here. Minnesota has a really interesting moment right now. Minnesota has a moratorium on nuclear energy. We can't do research or build nuclear plants in Minnesota. Um, and people want it lifted. In fact, a lot of Democrats want it lifted. They think it's a solution to, Thanks to some misinformation given out by some climate scientists, right? It, it, they think it's a solution to, to, and it really isn't. But um, so they, they want they want it to be considered. I personally don't care about the moratorium, because I know that if you lift the moratorium, Minnesota is not going to become a hotbed for nuclear power research. I also know no one's going to build a nuclear power plant because they're going to sit down and talk about it and realize, wait, this is stupid because it will cost us so much. The cost per the cost per, I don't know what the number is right now. I've calculated this recently a couple of months ago. The cost per megawatt hour of nuclear versus wind is something like 20 to one, 10 to one. It's crazy. If, if the nuclear power plant comes in at cost. Yeah. And, and how if, does that happen? Yeah. And if wind power doesn't get cheaper, guess yeah. what's happening? Wind power is still getting cheaper and no one's ever built a nuclear power plant at cost. Right. So it's more like 50 to one. And you can't have it now. You can have the wind and the solar mostly now. You can have the nuclear in 20 years, okay? Um, in, this, in this video, and I hate to, uh, the, the video is a, is a member of the Minnesota House, the 100% the, the, um, clean energy bill is to have us having carbon-free electricity by 2040 in Minnesota. And the Republicans have opposed this bill vehemently and they're calling it the blackout bill because Texas had all those blackouts. Again, they had windmills, even though the blackouts are caused by, guess what? Natural gas plants failing. You might it have heard also it was transformers at the, uh, they had uh, frozen transformers at the sites of the uh, uh, power generation. That's true. 
and yeah. and you might you might have heard that it had to do with wind turbines. Some of the wind turbines have some problems because they weren't designed to be winterized, which in Minnesota they are. But yeah. that wasn't the reason for the. That's just what people said. So right. it's just it's just like the children in the Congo. We're going to blame where it's convenient. The yeah. Texas blackouts are fossil fuel blackouts. And and the other thing too was that they had. Um, disconnected basically yes. their power grid from the rest of the country so that they didn't have a way of uh, uh, making up for those uh, failures in the power plants. Right, the Lone Star State was a little bit too lone. <laughs> yeah. And so, but we're calling, the, the, the Republicans in Minnesota are calling this a blackout bill. Anyway, oh. there was a, four, I think it was, a, how many hours was it in the Senate, in the House? Uh, the combined number of hours is close, over 20 hours of debate after committee work. And it evolved. Republicans making amendments and then getting up and whining about them. And this one film that we've got, that we're showing people has a particular person, a particular, the one that involved most of the nuclear energy. The first thing that the, that the representative says, so this is an example of misconceptions, that a molten salt plant is amazing because it burns spent fuel. Spent fuel is elements. Okay, elements. And elements, you know, they're atoms, right? Like it's the, the element, we use the element term for the, you know, the atom with this with this atomic parts. It's the irreducible fraction of matter, except fission and fusion can change atoms. Otherwise, you can't change them. Right. Right. So you can't put atoms in something hot unless it's the sun and get them to change. So you can't have a fire that takes nuclear fuel and burns it because believe me we've had that fire for a long time right. the, the heat of a molten salt reactor is less than the heat of an rko or a rotary kiln incinerator which we use to burn up really bad toxins if we could have used a rotary kiln incinerator uh, incinerator to uh, burn up nuclear fuel we would have been doing that okay um you can't do it but she makes a claim that the molten salt is so hot it burns up the fuel and turns it into electricity. So I'm going to insert this audio from the video that Greg is talking about right here. For those of you who are listening to this at a place where you don't have access to be able to pull up a video, like if you're driving or something like that, because Representative O'Neill does sound really well-informed and sciencey, but as Greg breaks down the flaws in what she's proposing in this amendment, um, you probably should hear what she said. I recognize the member from Wright, Representative O'Neill. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I could not be more excited about this amendment. It might be the only amendment I speak on today, and I'm on the Energy and Climate Committee, but this is game-changing. We absolutely must lift the, the nuclear moratorium, and we have to talk about the advanced reactors. I want to just tell you about a few of the reactors, and Representative Nash already talked about one, but what he didn't tell you, so the molten salt reactor, you know why it's really amazing? Because, so I have spent fuel in my backyard. I live very close to Monticello. The Prairie Island Indian community has spent fuel in their backyard. They don't really want it there. Uh, they don't want it there more than my community doesn't want it there. But let me tell you about these new designs that are coming out of advanced reactors. These molten salt reactors will burn spent fuel. Do you hear what I said? They'll burn spent fuel. 
That's amazing. They burn so hot that they will take the spent fuel off of our backs and burn it and turn it into electricity. So that is one of the designs. That's very exciting. So I don't know if you knew that, Representative Nash, about the molten salt. He does now, he says. Another design that actually will be built and opened and completed, the plan is to open this new design at the end of 2024, so in less than two years, is Pele, Project Pele. If you don't remember anything else of what I said, please remember Project Pele. Why? Because this is a micro-reactor. This is built in Idaho Falls, put on a semi-truck, and trucked to where it needs to go. So it'll be eventually set up in Wyoming. But it's a micro-reactor, so between one and five megawatts of energy it'll produce per hour. But it's a, a DOD, DOE, so a Department of Defense, Department of Energy joint project. How many military people are in this room right now? Would you just raise your hand? How many military folks are in here? Okay, so you know when the military puts their minds to something? I mean, we have a lot of technology because the military got involved. This is happening. This is being built and it is happening. And it's a high temperature gas reactor and it's using a triso fuel. So you won't remember that stuff, but for the nerds in the room, that's what it is. It's really cool. So what that means is it's a high SA, low enriched uranium. So it has very low enriched uranium, very, very low. It's very, very safe. And the trisome, trisome is, or triso, excuse me, is uh, it's like contained inside of a ball. So it's very, very safe of material that keeps it contained. Anyway, that is about to go up, and it should be completed in 2024. Let me tell you about one more. This is a TerraPower nitrum reactor. So this is the sodium-cooled fast reactor. And it's using advanced construction, so it cuts the cost tremendously. So the, the construction of this fa facility will be done in an assembly line fashion. And that one can produce 345 megawatts of energy. And where it's going up in Wyoming is a, a coal plant. So here's another really cool thing. So they've decommissioned a coal plant in Wyoming. They have all of the infrastructure there. They have the transmission, the transformers. They have the cooling systems. They have the generator. And so this is going to go on top of an old coal plant in Wyoming done by TerraPower. Now let me tell you about one more thing that happened yesterday. Yesterday, people. Yesterday, the NRC certified the first ever design for small modular reactors. Small modular, that means you can put one, you can put two, you can put three, you can put 12, and serial them together. And each reactor is 50 megawatts of energy. I should probably explain what that means, huh, Representative Nash? So, um, so Sherco, that's the big coal plant in Minnesota that is being decommissioned, is 2,400 megawatts of electricity. 20, that's the biggest in the Midwest, by the way. So it's going to be a heck of a time replacing that. But in any case, these small modular reactors are 50 megawatts per reactor, and you can serial up to 12. And that design was just approved. So what does that mean when NRC approves a design? It means now anybody that can build it can apply for a license. 
And the company that designed this, called NewScale, has 19, this happened yesterday, by the way, guys. Yesterday, this was approved by NRC. Yesterday. There are 19 companies lined up to build this new reactor. But you know what we can't do here in Minnesota? We can't do any of this. Do you want carbon-free power in Minnesota? Do you really want that? We cannot get there unless we embrace this, this new technology. And right now, we can't even really have a conversation about it. And in the Energy Committee, Representative Long kind of pushed me back a bit on my comments about advanced reactors. He says, well, no one's asking for it. Really? Have you read your, what's on your desks? You know why the Chamber of Commerce is wanting this amendment on the bill? It's because Excel Energy wants it. Excel Energy has been at Idaho Falls where they're developing this at the National Energy Laboratory. And they're in collaboration with them on other projects like hydrogen and other things. So the hydrogen is going to be going down to Prairie Island and they're going to work with Excel Energy. So they're already partnering with Idaho Energy, the National Laboratory in Idaho Falls. But we can't do any of that here. And it's Excel Energy, that's who wants this. That's what your letter is about. Members, if you really want cleaner, cheaper, carbon-free, and not blackouts, because that's where we're headed. I, had a, I was at an event last night talking to somebody from a city. So he's a city, city utilities director. And he said, we're already making plans to try to figure out how to mitigate rolling blackouts because of this bill. Because of this bill. If you don't do some advanced reactors in this state and, and expand nuclear, remember these are new designs, I just told you. Some of them even, some of the new designs will actually consume the spent fuel on site. Oh, and I should tell you one last thing about Pele, why it's so amazing. So they put it on a truck, and they set it up, and then it runs full power for three years. And then they put it back on the truck, and they send it back to Idaho Falls. And this is what the nuclear scientist said to me. We recharge it, so they add back the electrons, and then they send it back again. There's no spent fuel on site. Now is the time. We have to lift the nuclear moratorium. I don't know what we're waiting for. I really hope you accept this amendment. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So the two falsehoods there are that you can burn up nuclear fuel by just getting something hot enough that we have actual control over on our planet. And that somehow doing things to nuclear fuel converts it to electricity. We'll come back to that fallacy in a moment. Um, she talks about the Pele project. Now the Pele project is a DOD um, project that involves making a, a pretty convenient, you know how we have nuclear power plants on submarines? It's, it's, to, it's to build that kind of thing, a nuclear power plant that's self-contained and that uh, if you don't feed it and you don't drain it, you just use it. And then when it's like a battery and when it's done, you bring it home and put it away. Maybe you recycle it, maybe you use the parts for something else. So it goes off. Literally, it is a power plant where we use to power the Mars expedition on Mars or the power, the concept anyway, or on the moon. 
if we have a war and we have an army going somewhere where we don't currently have army bases, maybe we'll use those. I would not be surprised if mining industry wants to use it because mine, miners like to use electricity for their trucks because it's almost more efficient. Mm -hmm. So if they could have a nuclear power plant sitting there with, you know, in Australia somewhere with their coal mine, I mean, it's, a, it's an ironic, but so that's the kind of thing. Um, uh, that is proposed by this, I'll come back to the Pele again, but that's proposed by this member of the house as just a reason why nuclear is good because this Pele reactor is good. But it's really like saying cars are better because of the Mars Rover. Yeah, there's a Mars Rover. It's got four wheels. It kind of looks like a car, but it's not a car. And it, our cars do not have isotope drilling and, um, and mass spec plants on them just because a Mars Rover does. Okay, it's, it's just a different, different thing. Okay, um, she talks about another project modular she talks about other modular plants and how they're worse so i already talked about modular plants how the, you know how they will take over our our use or i take over our needs so we can have up to 12 nuclear modular plants in a spot and whatever the whole idea of modular being sounding good because nuclear plants are scary and big and scary goes together nuclear plants are big nuclear plants are scary they're scary they're big so let's have a small one won't be as scary and then we can put it in our own backyard or we can build it, you know, we can, we can attach it to our factory. You can build them in a factory and yeah. ship them just like the right. Sears Roebuck. Right. And and this was one of the original ideas of nuclear. I mean, there really wasn't a, a, a conceptual plan for a nuclear car. I'm sure you go to the internet, look up nuclear car, you'll find a picture of it. It's a really cool looking car, a nuclear yeah. power plant in it. Okay. Um, that runs the car somehow. Um, and, but then later at the end, I think she's referring back to Pele again. She talks about how what you do when you're done with the plant with a module is you bring it back to where it was made in Idaho Falls. And now she makes, she's makes an appeal to authority. The, the fallacy ref cards are flying here. She makes mm -hmm. a appeal, an appeal to authority by saying, a physicist told me this. Now I can imagine the physicist smirking. He says, you bring the plant, the, the module back to Idaho Falls and you put the electrons back into it. And now it can make more electricity. So again, the fallacy that somehow the nuclear stuff produces electricity by like spewing out volts and amps. Okay. What disturbs me is that on the house floor, in this case in Minnesota, but this could be any state or the federal government, someone can stand there and say these things that are utterly inaccurate and lies. And there isn't some kind of a process. Supposedly the press looks at this stuff. Believe me, our press is not looking at this. I guess this is what podcasts are for that the information should be there should be an authority within the legislatures legislative bodies that is like we have it we have it right what is it called the 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 body in the federal legislature that congressional budget office right when something gets actually goes to be a law the congressional budget office actually tests it out like if if we were to there were to be a law that says whereas there's a nuclear power plant that goes back to idaho and put electrons electrons back into it the congressional budget budget office wants to say, okay, what's the address of the people who put it back in? We're going to check with them, see if they really do this. How much will it cost? And they'll find out that it doesn't work. And yeah, a bill, a legislative auditor that's separate from the state auditor. If that's what you're thinking, or... we, in in minute, I'm thinking about in, in the U.S. Congress has a congressional yeah, budget office. That does, yes, we have a legislative audit. We do have an yeah. auditor here. Yes, so maybe we should be expanding our legislative auditor position to just look at all the things they're saying and correct them. Because all it would take is just a practice whereby you can't lie in front of the people as a representative. Maybe, maybe we have some people in the U.S. Congress that are making it so absurd. Maybe we're going to see this change. Anyway, 
so my my sort of put it all together, Mike. I think the the next gen fallacy, which is based on molten salt or similar and thorium modularity, and um, oh, I didn't mention this earlier. I said that with the idea of these plants is you can't get stuff to for terrorists to get their hands on. It's true. You can't a terrorist cannot go into that nuclear power plant and take out the nuclear re- materials because they have to have a special access pass. <laughs> but if they're in there, it'd be there. There's the stuff you need to make a nuclear bomb comes out of these breeder reactors. That's where we get them. That's where we get the stuff to make nuclear bombs is from breeder reactor type technology or similar. I mean, that's one of the ways we can get it. Um, you also have to have all your, you know, other equipment to do it. But but if the technology is widely available and widely used, it will be av- it will be used in any country that needs a lot of electricity. And they aren't going to be just using them to time travel in a DeLorean. They're going to be using them for... Right, exactly. Yeah, it's not even yeah. just a DeLorean problem uh, <laughs> with the Libyans. It's not the Libyans anymore. It's <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, it's it's it, 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 it we don't we don't solve the national security problem, we don't solve the waste problem, we don't solve the especially the mine problem, we don't solve the it could blow up and be you know radioactive problem, we don't solve the it costs too much problem. There's no technology that solves any one of those things, let alone all of those things. So and I'm not I'm, again, I'm not completely 100 against the idea of using nuclear. It's just it's not. What perplexes me is why does anyone want to push it so hard over other things right now? That's what I think. Yeah, I think that there are all these different concerns that we have to think about. And it's not just a plant blowing up. It's when a plant blows up, that land that it's on for miles around is not usable for whatever the, you know, whatever the half-life is of the material that's polluted it, you know, yeah. plus you know, the half-life, the quarter-life, the eighth-life, the sixteenth-life, you know. Right. That was only half, that was only the first half of the life. Yeah, so we're talking eternity, almost. <clears throat> talking about a very long period of time. And yeah. and the other thing is, um, you know, in Minnesota, for those don't, who don't live here, even who do but don't know, we have two nuclear power plants, and one of them is out of Monticello, which is kind of, it used to be in the middle of nowhere. There's cities building up now out there. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of out. But the other one is on Prairie Island, which is an, an an island in the Mississippi River, and it's a Native American reservation, and it's sitting right there. The and it's a similar technology to Fukushima's technology, same exact technology, in fact. Right. Um, the exclusion zone around Fukushima, where you can't go, is something like five times bigger than the entire Indian reservation. Like if there was a nuclear accident of that type, but by the way, it's in the that I mentioned it's in the middle of the Mississippi River. So the idea of a flood. It's possible because it's in the Mississippi River. It's a river. And you look at things like the Duluth flood and other floods. There's, the Mississippi's got a lot of dams on it. Above Prairie Island, there's the Ford Dam is above Prairie Island, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the St. Anthony Dam. Then there's the Coon Rapids Dam. Uh, and then there's like a bunch of small dams way upstream. If the Coon Rapids Dam broke, and it could. We watch that dam. I mean, there's always fighting over. Do we fix it yet? Do we fix it yet? Do we fix it? We have an infrastructure problem in the state. The dams are part of that. If that dam broke, it could take out the fair. I don't know what would happen. I can't. I'm not an engineer. I don't. I don't know what happened. But I can imagine if the right combination of dams broke in the major flood, like we've had in Minnesota recently, uh, you could have a, a flooding disaster in Prairie Island. Maybe. I don't know if you could or not. But I'd worry about it. And and it was- and. It, 
there was controversy over the cask storage, at least for the waste. Um, when I first moved here, they um, were worried specifically about that particular type of event because um, where the, the storage casks are could be susceptible to flooding. Mm -hmm. And goodbye, New Orleans. I mean, we're, ta we're talking about the Mississippi River, which is right. like the center river in the United States. <laughs> right. And, and what those casks, it's not the radiation as much as the poison. Right. The, the things that are in those casts are really bad. The, as the nuclear stuff right, breaks down, it breaks down to some things that are actually are, by the way, radioactive. But the most more, more, the more significant thing is they're extremely toxic to biological organisms. Yeah. And, 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 and the river floods over into the, when you get farther south, it's a different kind of river we have here. It floods over into the alluvium more, you know. So anyway, I wouldn't want the Americanium, whatever it's called, the really poisonous stuff in my watershed. No. It's the kind of thing like a little tiny bit, like a few grams kills you. Um, so the thing is, though, we're upriver from from Treasure Island, so right. We are we we have a problem in in this state. Just to put a fine point on it, I think I might have mentioned this in our last podcast, or maybe Phil mentioned it. If you stop using, if the world stopped using petroleum, gas, you know, natural gas, so called, or oil or anything like that. We stopped using it in one, one moment, like a fairy godmother waved, waved his wand and all of a sudden we stopped using it. The electrical bill in Minnesota would drop significantly. The, the, the big refinery, we have a big refinery here. The big refinery is our energy company's biggest single customer. And there's another smaller refinery. There's pipelines pumping oil and gas across the state. We have more pipeline feet of more miles of pipeline in any state per capita or any other way you measure it in any other state that does not produce petroleum. And our trains, our train systems are all oil cars going back and forth. Um, the energy we use both fossil fuel energy to pump stuff and electricity we use to pump stuff is enormous. If we stopped using all that energy, our entire energy demand would go down by a double digit percentage that day. We need to be thinking about not using fossil fuel but, and, and being more efficient in how we use energy and so yeah. on. And we have pretty good wind here. Yeah, there's a, I mean, <clears throat> there's a um, question that people will ask when we talk about um, getting electric cars and say, okay, so you're, and you, you dealt with this a little bit on the last podcast with Phil and Brian, but okay, so with, with a battery powered car, where does electricity come from? It comes from coal, it comes from gas, it comes from another non-renewable source. But that's not necessarily true. I mean, it can come from any source. And it doesn't really matter. So you got a car for 10 years, your sources of energy over those 10 years can change. If you buy a gas car, you're always going to be dependent on having gasoline available. Right. I was at Hy-Vee the other day, and the one in Maplewood on um, White Bear Avenue, just north of uh, 36, mm -hmm. they've got an um, onward charging station right there. And what powers it is not an uh, electrical line coming from the store, but there's not only a solar collector, but there's a little wind generator uh, up on a pole. And it's not a, it's not a, a propeller type uh, turbine. It's, it's, um, it's, it's one that, uh, and I don't know the, the specific uh, term for it, but it turns uh, horizontally. horizontally with veins that are, the veins are kind of curved. And so there's even at night, there's still going to be electricity available to, to um, power cars that are plugged in there. So there's just 
so many more options available um, with renewals, renewables that we don't we don't even think about. I think. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't know what those things are called. I think they're called vertical access wind turbines, but there that might be another name for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So I think that's basically it. I think that we have. Um, uh, a good argument for keeping our moratorium in Minnesota and not trying to expand nuclear. I also don't think that I care politically about the moratorium. If we had to give away the moratorium to get something back good, I would give it away in a second because I don't think it matters. Uh, and and what people here who are sincerely concerned about fossil fuels and carbon, what people hear about nuclear as a panacea or a fix is usually a chimera of facts that come from from real sources but put together do not produce a real technology and that we really can't use. Yeah. And that's coming from somebody who isn't inherently against it. It's just that it has to be what it says it's going to be safe, cheapish. I don't care if it's even a little expensive. I don't care if our, if our non carbon electricity is a little bit expensive, some of it, but this is exorbitantly expensive, doable. It's not doable. And it's not going to happen within decades. We might get to to uh, fusion before we get to practical yeah. fusion. Although I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows? You never know. <laughs> okay. Well, this is Mike. I just want to explain that Greg and I recorded this a long time ago, but we've had difficulty getting the podcast out for one reason or another. This was back during the Minnesota legislative session, which ended in May. Um, but I think we recorded this in March. So I do apologize for the delay. And I'm glad that you listened to it. When I post this, I'm going to put it up on the iconocast.com. And I'm going to actually put up a video that was the um, presentation by Representative O'Neill on the House. You just can see it. And uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. We've got some other shows that we propose for coming up in the future. So, again, this is an Earthsats podcast. We do it when we do. So, it's not on a schedule, but we're glad that you listen and enjoy it. We talk about a lot of things related to the energy crisis, um, and it's not quite the same as the oil crisis was like when I grew up in the 70s. It's a way of producing all the energy that we need without contributing to climate change. And uh, I think that uh, this has been a great podcast. I enjoy talking to Greg, and I hope you enjoy talking to me, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to Iconocast. Thank you.